actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. I'm your host, Stephen J, aka Action. And today we're going to talk once again about community. Community is a common theme for me, has been a common theme throughout my life. At a young age, I read the Robert Putnam book, Bowling Alone, which came out in 2000 and talked about what had happened to our communities from the middle to the end of the 20th century. And as you're all probably aware of, what has happened since with the social media and all this other stuff has only really seemed to further weaken our communities, even accelerate the trend a little bit. So one of the things I'm trying to cover on this show is different people who are trying different methods of bringing back our communities for various purposes. Our guest today, Kristen McGinnis, has recently started a group called Conscious Business Connections, which has a pretty extensive mission and actually even goes beyond just the business. There are some events that are a little bit more social in nature. It seems to cover the whole spectrum. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I'm really glad to be here this morning. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. And so let's start by kind of orienting the audience to what you're doing. What is Conscious Business Connections and what inspired you to, because you've put all of yourself into this pursuit. What inspired you to start Conscious Business Connections and what made you feel like this was the thing that you're supposed to be doing right now? Great question. And it's a long one. I will keep it brief. It was really during the pandemic last year when we were in lockdown and I was taking time to really understand what my passions were in life, what my calling was in life. I was doing a lot of reading during that time. We were all staying at home, so I had a lot of extra time. So I did a lot of soul searching. And I have so many interests in life and so many passions. I wanted to find a way to continue my current career, but also wrap in more of my passions for philanthropy, for animals. So a lot of different elements for my event planning experience and my finance experience. And so I came up with this concept as I was seeing the world shut down. And I saw all of these amazing people with beautiful gifts namely in the coaching world, the yoga world, the hospitality world. So all these businesses that were struggling to stay open and make money during the pandemic. And with my gifts of entrepreneurship, I thought, well, my skills can help their passions and I can help them start businesses. So I started a yoga business last year and kind of practiced that out a little bit and have some retreats. And it was just beautiful, the belonging that was growing from the community I was building last year with this yoga business. That has since dissolved. And I started Conscious Business Connections on a larger scale. I have a much larger dream around Conscious Business Connections. So I've taken that yoga model and expanded it even further. And still hosting amazing events. Yoga is one of those amazing events. So it's a way for people to network and do things that they love while they're connecting. So combining their interests, what lights them up in the world with fun things we want to do. And then naturally we have conversations, conscious conversations, and we're connecting in ways that are supporting our businesses, bringing target market to you, bringing clients to you, strategic partners, people that are going to help you keep your light on. And that's the tagline of my email address and my website. I love that. Keep your light on because That to me has multiple definitions. I think the practical definition, of course, is that anyone that's ever started a business and put a lot of energy into that knows that you still need to make money and keep the lights on is oftentimes a phrase for the fact that even though your business takes a year and a half, two years before it starts earning revenue, you still need to pay your rent. You still need to eat your food and keep your lights on. But for me, it has a second definition, keep your light on. 
when I think of what makes someone lit, I mean, lit in the non-alcoholic sense, not that it can be alcoholic too, but you know, the, the thing that lights your fire underneath, the thing that makes you feel alive. I think of one of my favorite phrases, one of my favorite Americans of all time is Benjamin Franklin. And he once said, a lot of people die at 25. They're just not buried until they're 75 because you're just living this mundane life and you're not lit. So you're not keeping that internal light on. Is that one of the motivations to keep these people not only have their lights on in the practical sense, but feeling like their internal lights on? And I know that's a big part of yoga as well. Precisely. And that was where I was doing some soul searching last year. So many friends I have know that have beautiful passions in life and they weren't able to make money with their gifts through the pandemic. And even without the pandemic, they may not know the right tools and resources to be able to make a living wage. And especially with rising cost of living, it gets more and more challenging to be able to afford your mortgage, buy a house, your car payment, all of these different things. And then on the flip side, you were spot on, Stephen. It's keeping your lights on. What wakes you up in the morning? What are you excited about? What motivates you? What inspires you? So we have these conversations when we have events and we just dive deeper. And I think there's a lot of shifts happening even within industries right now. A lot of people are leaving certain industries and going to others. So they're doing more soul searching. I'm seeing a lot of that. And it lights me up to see other people finding their true passions in life and doing what they love and having meaning and purpose behind that. That's awesome. And you came up with a lot of these ideas, or it seems like you got the space to come up with a lot of these ideas during the pandemic. As a very active, very outgoing person, nobody hated the lockdowns of the pandemic more than me, or very few people did. But one of the things I'm hearing a lot about that time period is that this kind of forced, unexpected slowdown did give a lot of people the space to really do some inner reflection and generate ideas. Is that something that you're seeing in your network to a lot of other people who, okay, last year wasn't the ideal year and this year is still kind of far from ideal, but that space, that ability to slow down and breathe, all of a sudden people said, wait, I am going to start this. I am going to start pursuing this, even if it isn't going to be my main career or anything else. Absolutely. And we actually had a similar discussion at Conscious Coffee Conversations, which is an event I hold every two weeks in the Denver metro area at different local coffee shops. This exact topic came up and we were discussing the fact that the pandemic and last year, 2020, provide us all this different kind of work-life balance. Parents had more time with their children, more time with their pets. So there's this hybrid model emerging and a lot of people don't want to go back to an eight to five model and being at the office or being at a retail establishment. They want more of that time to be with their family and friends and understand that work-life balance. And I think that's what's causing the big shift in industries right now. And there's a big shakeup with a lot of people moving their careers or their positions and wanting to align with a company that has the same values as them and Mm -hmm. is understands that family and friends and time away and vacations are really important in our lives. And I feel that 2020 provided us that time to explore that. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I always notice having lived through this whole massive change and even the kind of a little bit more underground movement toward more flexible work environments that took place in the decade prior to 2020 is that the late 20th century into the turn of the century model that I grew up with seemed to have a default assumption that work always came first. And that's even the first work environment I entered after graduate school. If there was a deadline, okay, you have plans to meet up with your friends, all these things that I think a lot of people are realizing really matters. 
hanging out with your friends and just laughing, hanging out with your family, connecting with people, all those things matter. Even the things that you do alone to take care of your mental health, meditation, reading, reading is huge, by the way. I love reading all kinds of different books that those things matter. But the default assumption, at least up until 2010, and probably even later in a lot of places, and possibly even still now, was that work was always going to come first. And that if your work wanted you to stay and handle a deadline, that's going to come first. Whereas now, I think we're seeing a lot of people question that assumption and also say, okay, these other things, there's value in it. And how does that synthesize? And what would you have to say to people who are either encouraging this change, or there are some people out there that are freaking out about it and desperate to go back to having everyone in the office so they can see them again? Yeah, it comes down to balance for me and what I'm seeing with younger generations and a lot of people in the conscious, quote unquote, communities. Yep. There's a new surge of empowerment I'm seeing within people and Mm. they're standing up for their values, what's important in their life. And the old ways, the old pragmatic ways of doing things are are falling away. And if the larger companies aren't willing to adopt that, they're probably going to lose employees and their Mm -hmm. their retention is going to change. So I feel there needs to be a balance. I understand the corporations need, we were talking about this the other day, Greg Tanner, I'll quote Greg Tanner, one of our members, he's amazing. Also a future guest on this show. Sorry, I had to plug that in. Good, good. I hope. He's amazing. So he's like... As an employer, you're renting the time of someone else. And Mm -hmm. we got on the topic of, so you're renting someone's time for eight hours for their shift or 40 hours per week. But how often is that employee actually working that many hours? I just feel that balance is extremely important and conscious business leaders and concepts is what I am trying to bring to not only the top end leaders of an organization, but the middle, the directors. So how can we find more balance and what is truly important to our employees? Mm -hmm. The CEO doesn't want to be working 80 hours a week either. We all want that work-life balance. So how can we work together and have more collaboration, more teamwork, so we all can have time to read, like you're saying, Stephen, or hang out with our friends, go laugh. Yeah. Explore travels huge. Yeah. To me too. Enjoy life. Life isn't all about working. I love to work, but... When you talk about conscious leaders and conscious businesses... What does that mean to you? And do you turn away people who want to become members that you feel are not fitting the conscious business mold? Sure. Well, I define consciousness as awareness Mm. and the ability to ask questions and to dive a little bit deeper. It's going beneath the surface and our subconscious mind. So in terms of turning away members, I will not turn away anyone. I feel that I've built the model in a sense that people self-select out of membership if it's not a fit for them. So if they've attended an event or they look at the website, either resonates with them or or it doesn't. And I've already seen that happen. I'm not here to chase anyone down or convince Mm -hmm. anyone to become a member. I've been to many networking groups and there's individuals that just go there to hand out business cards. That's not the type of member that I'm trying to attract and retain. I'm trying to attract givers within the community that are there to and wish to support other people's businesses and have this understanding or are willing to understand the concept of reciprocity and this cycle of abundance. So the more you give, the more that comes back to you. So people are already self-selecting out and maybe it's not a fit for them now. Maybe it will be in the future. That's fine. We already have a membership strong of 50 people. 
and it's growing every day. So the right people are aligned as I think you have witnessed from some of the events you've attended, Stephen. Yeah, that's amazing. And so what you're saying is that when I think of the non-conscious person, I think of the person who for them, it's only about money and nothing else. There's no underlying thing and they're willing to walk over people. I don't know. This is probably an extreme example, but for those people, the conversations that we have at these events, just naturally, they'll be like, I'm not resonating with this conversation. You're not talking with me about how I'm going to double my profits over six months. You're talking with me about the impact of the business and how that relates to society as a whole. Kind of like what said in the Whole Foods guy, John Mackey's book, when he talks about like thinking about not just the bottom line, but also your employees and society as a whole. And I think there's a concept for that called the triple bottom line that's been floated around for a decade or so. But what I'm wondering about that concept is that do you see that trend accelerating right now due to the pandemic and this whole phenomenon we're seeing workers stand up for themselves and say, okay, if this job's not going to do it for me, I'm just going to quit and find something else, which we're seeing a ton of this year. Yeah, you hit on a few things. So triple bottom line approach is definitely what I'm teaching. And Mm -hmm. with my newsletters and within the events, I have my MBA in sustainable business. And that's exactly what we were learning around 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of greenwashing that came after that, that surge of green MBAs and a lot of companies coming on board saying, well, I'm going to create a corporate social responsibility report every year. And I'm going to see all the good things I'm doing in the world. And many of them are legitimately with integrity doing those things. But I feel there was a lot of greenwashing that came after that, especially mm-hmm. if the trash companies that say they're green. <laughs> you know, how much are we truly recycling yeah. these, these <laughs> items? There's still a lot of greenwashing that happens. I feel the intentions sometimes there and the integrity is, but it's aligning those values and we live our values. Your values are shown in your actions. So you can say all you want, you can write CSR reports, but how are you truly showing up in your community? How are you giving back? What are the actions that you're taking? So great to have all of those types of reports available for your shareholders, for your clients, but living your values and showing up in the community and giving back what is important in a belief of mine. And those are the type of companies I wish to attract. And I see that trend a bit in the younger generations as well. My generation of millennials and Gen Z or iGen, whatever you want to call it, coming up after the people are just kind of emerging into the world now. I see a lot more people in these younger generations judging corporations based on their actions rather than their words. I see just a movement where people are starting to, and it's possible that all the generations are doing it, to be honest. I don't mean to divide up people in that sort of way, but it does feel like more and more people now are cutting through that, okay, you said this, but what does it actually mean for what you're doing as opposed to just, okay, you issue this report and you threw out a bunch of corporate buzzwords with the word sustainability in it 15 times, but people actually want to know what's the mission and what have you done around this issue as well as like the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that I've had a couple of episodes that talked about that as well. People want to see action and results as opposed to just words more and more. Absolutely. And I even see that in the nonprofit world. I am very involved in uh, Colorado nonprofits in the philanthropy world. And I even see that happening there. The reason for being is there, what are the actions? How are we really going into our communities and making an impact? Yeah. So versus just creating PR reports and Mm -hmm. press releases and social media, like these are all amazing things. 
well, what is really the impact we're having on that end individual, whether it's in education or with the homeless? So the philanthropic side is also mm-hmm. in the nonprofit world. I'm seeing there needs to be some shifts, not just for-profit corporations. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people automatically assume a certain level of, I guess, consciousness, maybe even just because someone's in a nonprofit, people tend to assume that okay, the people that are just greedy are always going to be in the for-profit sector and give nonprofits a little bit more of a break. But I think we have seen some examples, and I don't want to cite any specific groups in case, just so I'm not misrepresenting any specific organization, but I think we have seen some examples of nonprofits not using their donor money very effectively in the recent past. And so it's good that this section of the organizational world, that's oftentimes, I'd say, given a pass on these issues is also being looked at and saying, okay, you know, we want to see what your impact really is. And speaking of impact, what's your vision for the impact on the world that this organization is going to have? I have big, big dreams and big vision for Conscious Business Connections, not only on the technology side and providing a VIP experience for each of my members. Again, I said we're at 50 now. I hope to be at 500 by the end of the year and 5,000 by next year. Yep. I want to make sure I am providing that level of service and that level of intimacy and trust with each of those members and providing support for their businesses. But on the very large scale, ultimate vision for this business is there's this concept that every emotion, every action drives from either fear or love. And if I can help alchemize fears to love and help people shift out of that fear and make more conscious choices to shift into love and more acts of kindness, generosity, all of those feelings that fall under the love category versus the fear category. That would fill me up. And I feel that those small acts will help heal society and bring more goodness into the world. And then just more belonging. There's a concept I like to use. It's called true wealth. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, again, about the triple bottom line. It's not about the amount of money that you're making. It's not about your ROI all of these metrics that we measure as businesses, those are great. We need that to function as a business. But what is the wealth behind that? What is the impact you're having on society, your community, the children, the animals, the environment, all of the different elements that we have in our community? So I just hope through, I know I will. I know through Conscious Business Connections and the mastermind pods that I'm already putting together that are guided by what change you want to see in the world that we are going to make an impact on our community and the global community as well. And I love this idea of time wealth because this seems like a kind of collective mindset shift. One of the things I'm hoping that my listeners get out of this is an individual mindset shift. And that's kind of this idea of shifting from fear to love. This shift that we need to do collectively from kind of only looking at the ROI or whatever to actually embracing or factoring in the value of all these things that we're talking about, whether it be belonging or community, is that something that stems up from as more people shift from fear to love, we will collectively start embracing these things that bring true enjoyment in life a little bit more? Or is there a separate set of actions we need to take to bring about this more collective shift in our values as opposed to our individual ones? Interesting question. I've never been asked it that way. I'm going to kind of put a different context on it. I feel from a conscious level, we have to understand ourselves first. So Mm -hmm. there is a concept. It's 
a lot of us have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. So there's a paradox of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it, it starts with the foundation of understanding of self. Once you understand yourself, then you can understand your relationship with other people in your life, whether that's children, your spouse, coworkers. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you have an understanding of the collective community. If you have an understanding of self, what triggers you, what your patterns are, why you make the decisions you do, why you choose to respond to a situation versus react to a situation. From a foundation of understanding yourself, I feel that we can build more conscious relationships with our immediate friends, family, environment, and then that impact will then filter into the community. But it all starts with an understanding self. So most people, and I'm just imagining the person who's listening right now that's feeling just generally lost in a job they don't like, people in that situation should probably first start by working on understanding themselves before kind of going up to some of these other aspects of that pyramid. I would agree. I would offer that invitation to others to look towards themselves and do a little soul searching so often. And I've done it in the past is I look for other people to solve my solutions or solve my problems. So looking to others, that's just fulfilling a temporary need with an understanding you know how to care for your own needs, then that filters into those conscious relationships. But you have to be able to fill your own cup first, and then you can get back to others. And in that filling of the cup, is that a key part of this alchemization, as you put it, the alchemize from fear to love? Is understanding yourself a key step in that process? I would say yes, because you need to understand your own needs before you can ask someone else to support you with whatever you might be going through in your life. And there's many people out there that can offer support. And I've asked this question to many friends who are struggling. How can I support you? And a lot of them, they don't know. Mm-hmm. But just being asked that question gets you into that mindset of what would be most supportive to me right now with whatever you might be going through. It could be something very small to something really monumental or depression or yep. disease within a family member. So, but it's understanding of what you need to be able to fill yourself up and then be able to ask for that support and know how to ask. And when I think about this whole process of understanding self, alchemizing from fear to love, and then eventually figuring out what you want to do, the other aspects of it where you have to put a lot of work into your endeavors and overcome rejection, overcome some form of failure, and to eventually get where you want to go, how does conscious business connection kind of bring together people on different parts of that journey? Because you have people who are very much toward the end of that journey, who've already made it, and people who are still lost and trying to understand the self and people everywhere in between. It's the blending. It's just the conversations and having exposure to people that might be a little bit further on that path that might have done more soul searching, more reading, and having just a welcome environment, a safe environment to have these discussions. Wherever you are is perfectly okay. Mm. It is perfectly okay. So, and if you want to come to an event and you've never had these kinds of conversations, it might be very intimidating. It was for me, just start, just starting with one step of showing up and listening. And it's wonderful to see people blossom that come to events and they were shy for the first four events. They don't want to say a word and all of a sudden they are opening up and blossoming and they have a lot to share. So it's just this exposure and creating a safe environment is really what I'm focused on within my events and offering a space for people to explore and providing the tools for them 
to bring their passions to life. If someone is kind of on that beginning stage of self-exploration, and I always think of it as beginning with awareness and understanding that this is not what I want to be doing and that there are other ways out there, which is where I kind of feel like it's the start of the journey. What is the one thing you would recommend someone do with a half hour of time that they could do to start making a better connection with themselves, better connection with people, start alchemizing from fear to love? I think meditation might be my top answer. Meditation can be intimidating to people who've never Mm -hmm. done it before. I started with meditation five years ago or so with Deepak Chopra and Oprah. Mm -hmm. And after 15 minutes, I would fall asleep. (laughs) Uh, And then I would judge myself because I fell asleep. I'm supposed to be able to meditate here for 30 minutes. So for 30 minutes, you know, I would recommend starting with one minute of meditation, two minutes of meditation, not having this big goal of 30 minutes of meditation. I mean, I can meditate for two hours now. Oh, wow. Versus years ago, I would fall asleep in 15 minutes of meditation. So, but I'd say if you had 30 minutes, I would pick a good book. All of my members get a copy of The Four Agreements Mm -hmm. by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a foundational book for me. It's an easy read. It's a great introduction into the mindfulness world and contracts you have with yourself and other people. And I feel just picking up a book of any type for 30 Mm -hmm. minutes would be a good start. And that's one I recommend. I have others that I would recommend, but just taking time out for yourself, having stillness and listening to your own inner intuition and your own thought patterns and just being with yourself. One of the reasons I said 30 minutes is a time period is because I honestly believe most people have 30 minutes that they can cut out of TV watching, scrolling through social media on their phone, or one of those activities. And so it seems like if you can just take, even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes out of whatever scrolling you're doing, whatever TV watching you're doing, pick up a good book, just even possibly start by thinking, okay, what makes me curious? What kind of book do I want? Because one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of these kind of self-transformation things is that it's not one path. A lot of advice you get, you hear the ones that are like, wake up at 4.30 every morning and you'll be successful. And that works for some people, but it doesn't for others. People have different rhythms. And so I'm not here to tell you what specific books you should be reading as long as you're picking up a book and reading it. One of the things I'm wondering with this mindset is that I sometimes struggle with maintaining my network. I've kind of, over the past three years, gone around to a lot of networking events. And I've admitted on previous episodes of this show that I used to be a really rubbish networker. I used to be that person that handed out the business cards to everybody. And then I would come home with a stack of 25 with people that you just don't really kind of connect with any further than maybe you had a coffee or something like that. Is there some advice for how to maintain a network for people who struggle to keep up with people who don't even know how to keep up with, say, their college friends? Great question. I want to go back and talk about your 30-minute concept. I just want to expand on that. Yeah, sure. I see so many people, and I've done it in my past as well, is I wait for a vacation to slow down. Next year, I'm going on vacation to Hawaii. And so I'm going to grind and I'm going to work as much as I can, make as much money so then I can finally have enough money to go on vacation. Yep. Yeah. And I will have that ability to relax then when I'm on vacation. And people save for retirement in much the same way. I'm going to save all of my life. So then I'm going to retire when I'm 50, 55, take an early retirement. And then I'm just going to travel and see the world and do that. I'm going to earn as much money as I can now. And I'm going to postpone that pleasure for later. Yep. 
So I encourage everyone with this 30 minute concept that you brought up is how can we take a vacation every day? Mm, so interesting. in answering your question, you know, what would you do on vacation? So maybe that 30 minutes per yeah. day, what would you do if you were sitting poolside, beachside in Hawaii? What would you want to be doing with that 30 minutes? So maybe it's with my time. I don't know. Whatever brings you pleasure and joy, would that be calling a friend or so taking that 30 minutes every day to look at that as a vacation for yourself, like going for a walk, walking your dog. So just a, another yeah. invitation because not it's everyone likes yeah. to eat. And we don't always have to be working on self-development all the time. The meaning of life is to live it and to enjoy it. So, so. a 30 minute vacation every day. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to start that. So let me answer your question about networking. And I mean, there's a lot of technology tools within networking. We collect business cards. We have CRMs. We have LinkedIn. We have a lot of technology options to help keep our contacts organized. My strategy, I mean, I use all of these strategies and I have my own system. I love spreadsheets. I love technology. So I have my way and I have backend technology in my website that is providing this service to other people. Because I realize not everyone wants to play with the technology and learn the technology and create yep. this. So I am creating through my membership directory and other backend technology on my website, a way to do this for you. Oh, wow. That's, that's number one. So you don't need to put it on yourself, Stephen, to figure out how to manage all of these contacts. I am building that for you. But for people that aren't members or you just want to, because you ask like, you know, how do you keep in touch with your old college buddies and, and who are all of these people in your life that you want to keep in touch with? I've always felt social media is a very strong, powerful tool mm -hmm. because you can be out there. You can be seen. It's a way to connect. I feel so much good has come from social media. So many people have connected. I have met people all over the world that I am great friends with that I've never even met in person. And we are great friends. We met through social media. Wow. So you can use that tool to keep in touch with your college buddies, your old coworkers. I mean, I have tags within Facebook that categorize all those people. I'm oh, okay. Yeah. So I feel social media is, if we use it for good, it's a great way to keep in touch and reach a broader audience as well and make new friends. That's awesome. I've heard so few stories about people who make new friends via social media. I had always thought of it primarily as you bring in the friends you already have and stuff like that. But it's good to hear that there is some of that good stuff coming up about it. Is there any platform that you feel like is better for actually bringing in authentic new human connections? Or do you feel like it's how you use the platform that makes more of a difference? I feel it's the way you use the platform. And each platform has its pros and cons and different audiences. Yep. So I use LinkedIn much differently than I use Facebook, mm -hmm. much differently than I use Twitter. I don't feel you can use the same content across all platforms. And I feel you get out of it what you put into it as you do with anything else. So mm -hmm. I engage with groups that I'm interested in that have like-minded topics, whether that's a Facebook group or yep. whether that's finding hashtags on Twitter and finding people that way. I would say most of the people that I've, like my friends that I've never met that are from social media have been through Facebook groups. So it's interesting. Interesting because they have the group coalesces people around a common topic. So I think that kind of makes sense that if you join a group, the same way you join a group IRL in real life. So anyone that joins your group or any other networking group, you're going to get out of it what you put into it as well. If you engage with the other members and try to build relationships 
versus if you're either there to prove that you're right, which is my big beef with some people's social media use is that I'm there to show my opinion and prove that I'm right about all these things. Or if you're there just to throw out business cards, it's going to be a completely different experience. And it's good to hear that you can find the right people on these social media platforms because I think there's some tendency for people to like look at something as either all good or all bad with nothing in between. And that's really not the case with anything, to be honest. There's very few things, very few groups of people, very few industries that are all good or all bad. Argue there's possibly none. It's all how you use it. And I think that turns back to mindset because the mindset you're coming in. And do you feel like when people are using these social media platforms, does that relate to this kind of fear-love dichotomy that you were talking about before? That if you're coming in out of love, you're more likely to have a good experience and make connections versus like fear-based, which is I need to get business now, or I need to prove I'm right. What I've noticed is I was very skeptical about the algorithms that Facebook was building. So I never see certain people's posts and I would be frustrated or I see all of the same type of topics all the time, especially with Instagram when they change their algorithm as well. Mm -hmm. And so I hear a lot of people saying, well, all I see is just all this negativity all over Facebook. And I said, I don't. (laughs) I feel the algorithms are, it's how you're engaging. And the energy you're even putting into that platform is then putting that into that algorithm and then you're getting the output. Like my Instagram and my Facebook are full of inspiration nonstop and it's beautiful. Behind it, they're using it for good. And it's individuals that are going and, and choosing. I, you know, I don't know why. I have guesses of why people will want to talk about politics and just different controversial topics on Facebook for attention seeking or or whatever their goal is. But I feel there's some fear behind that. And again, we use these platforms and we get out of it what we put into it. And so I put energy into it because I want good Mm -hmm. energy to turn to me. So it feels almost like a digital version of what happens in real life in the sense that so if you're scrolling through whatever social media platform it is and you're find yourself gravitated to all this negative stuff, the algorithm is going to start putting more and more negative things into it versus if you're seeking out things that are of a different nature, whether you want to call it positive or whether for me, I like to seek out things that engage my curiosity because there's a lot of things to look at in the world. Exactly. I don't know if the algorithm works like that. It could. Then, or you're going to be put in Facebook jail and then... <laughs> You're not going to be able to say anything. I've known individuals that have been Facebook jail. You know, there's some censorship issues around that, but I don't feel that that's the platform. If you want to have a conversation about politics, have it in person. Don't have it on a public forum. And I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. And I have different thoughts on Facebook jail and what they're doing there, but I welcome debates. I welcome discussions on vaccinations, COVID, politics. But I feel that those should be happening in person. Well, it's interesting. One of the things that I often think about is we've had an explosion since the turn of the century of new communication tools, whether it be more people using text messages. I know there was text messages before 2000, but I don't really remember ever receiving them. The text message, the different social media outlets, as well as the work tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams. One of my dreams that I know I've been told many times is never going to actually come true is for us to finally agree on which method is for what. 
Like, when do you call? When do you meet in person? When do you send an email? When do you send a text? And when do you do everything over social media? I know this is like a pipe dream that's never really going to happen, but I would love for people to at least know what they're getting into when they go to a certain tool so that you know, like, for example, I know Facebook has groups, Reddit has those subreddits and Twitter has hashtags and different other things as well, where people are starting to say, okay, like I'm coming into this, expecting to have this discussion. There are so many platforms and it can be overwhelming and there's new ones being developed every day of ways to communicate with others and work for business development, lunch club, alignable, all things we've talked about, Stephen. Yep. I'm glad you noted, like, do we prefer a text message? Do we prefer a call? My membership directory actually addresses that. Building a conscious relationship is about learning about the other person, not assuming one of the mm-hmm. four agreements, never make assumptions not assuming that they prefer a call or a text or an email, ask them. So in my intake questionnaire, Stephen, what are the main two ways you want to be contacted? Is it email and phone? So it's on there so people can look that up and they know the way to contact the person. And then it's taking a conscious effort to learn and ask those questions with anything within your family relationships, your dating relationships, understanding how that person likes to be communicated to. And expressing Mm -hmm. the way you want to be communicated with as well. And that's a good segue into one of the things I like to do in all my episodes, which is if any of my listeners out there are interested in Conscious Business Connections, how is the best way to get a hold of you? Is there just go to the website or is there another process? Website is probably the easiest way. It's ConsciousBusinessConnections.org. You can also find me on social media. I'm very active in all areas, so I'm easy to find. And if you're in the Denver area, all the events are listed on the website. So I would say that the website is probably the easiest way. Excellent. And then one final question. You've alluded a little bit to the future, getting 50 members, 500, 5,000, possibly beyond that. I know Conscious Business Connections, you have all different types of events. Is there any specific other functionality, other capability, or other aspects of the group that's going to be kind of given more focus in the coming year or two? Well, we are building on the back end, again, a lot of more technology. We are working on job board. So business owners can post if they're hiring and then we connect people. There's a lot of things. I have a vision for building this out as a franchise and having other cities involved and having events in those cities. Or when we're traveling, if we have a business trip to San Diego, we connect with other conscious leaders in San Diego and So these events are available both virtually, hybrid, and in person. And destination retreats is my other big piece. So taking a vacation every day. Well, we're going to all take a vacation together. The first one is in Mazunte, Mexico, the end of October. I hope to have these at least twice a year, maybe quarterly. So there are immersion destination retreats in the sense that we are going to immerse within the culture and community that we're going to. So Mm -hmm. we're going to learn about the food, the currency, the history, as much as we can learn about that culture before we travel there. So we're going to have pre-immersion Zoom calls. While we're there, we're going to immerse with the people. We're going to learn from them, with them, give back to the community. And then post-immersion, maintaining that energy that we gained during the retreat on that vacation and immersing back into, you would use my one of my favorite terms, IRL in real life. <laughs> um, So how do we maintain that energy and go back to our daily routines and maintain that vacation type energy that so many of us love and whatever want to return from vacation and want to to live on the beach forever, or at least I do, but we have to work and we have to be involved in our community. We all can't live on the beach. That would not be sustainable. 
first of all, as you mentioned before, 30 minutes a day, just 30 minutes a day that you can just be on vacation. And then on a regular basis, kind of the whole idea of not just waiting until you retire to enjoy your life, but finding other times to enjoy things and enjoy different activities and enjoying the company of really good people. Kristen, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, telling us all about these pursuits with conscious business connections, creating the next iteration of our society. What comes next in our society and how do we make it better than the one we had before, as opposed to, well, there's always the risk of it becoming worse. And thank you to all my listeners out there for listening, for joining us once again on Actions Antidotes. Stay tuned for more discussions with more people that are just following whatever it is that they are passionate about. Because once you do that inner self-discovery that we talked about, that beginning part of the journey, you'll realize what you want to be passionate about. And then you're going to want to actually go for it as opposed to just having it in the back of your head, but repressing it for other immediate concerns. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure being on your show today. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Until next time. 